Well, it's November 2020, and there are so many things up in the air. There is an incredible amount of uncertainty, and that drives human beings crazy. Human beings love certainty. Uh, a lion doesn't worry about tomorrow, but we do. Your dog or your cat, your pet doesn't concern itself with what's going on tomorrow, but we as human beings do. We, we like to know what's going to happen next. We want to know that red lights turn green, and we want to know that they do that regularly and consistently. We are beings that are almost wired for certainty. Uh, horror movies take advantage of this. This is how they play with you when you're watching one of these movies. They, they create uncertainty, and then they insert an element of danger. So there's a monster around the corner and the girl's walking up to it and they slow it down and you don't know what's going to happen next. And because of that, suspense builds. And really good movies have, a, have suspense building to such a degree that you almost like move up on your seat and sometimes you can feel your hands getting tighter. It's the element of danger mixed with uncertainty, not knowing what's going to happen. Now, what's crazy is you know it's a movie. It's not real. Logic tells you you shouldn't be afraid, but even watching a movie, you can be afraid with that sense of uncertainty, danger, and suspense. But the movie or the scene will be over, and then you could let out the deep breath. The problem for us is that we've been living with so much uncertainty for quite some time now. I mean, it's been seven months with a lot of uncertainty. And people don't know what's going to happen in this area or that area or this component of life. So how do you live in a world filled with so much uncertainty? Well, you have to learn to walk in what the psalmist says in Hebrew is the salmawet. You have to learn to walk in the valley of the darkest darkness, if you will. We're in a series entitled Through Mountains and Valleys, and in it, we're looking at how Scripture teaches us how to live in the sort of mountaintop highs and also the valley lows of life. And I want to explore one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture. It's about the valley. It's about being in one of the low parts of life. Now, it's a psalm that's usually read at funerals and associated with death. And what I want to do is hopefully re-examine it and look at it anew, afresh, and discover that this isn't necessarily about death, although it certainly has components dealing with that. It's more about your everyday life as you walk through the valley. It's psalm 23, a psalm of David. It begins, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. So there's an image you have to immediately start picturing in your head. You need to picture the shepherd, the green pastures, and the sheep. Now, one of the problems is, is you're a modern Western person. So you immediately think of the modern context of a shepherd and a sheep. So you think of like a giant open field of green grass or maybe high alfalfa growing and maybe there's a fence to keep the, the sheep safe. And so it's it's almost like a luxurious life for the sheep. They're, they're in a land overflowing with grass and food, but that is not the image of ancient Israel. You need to picture more of a dry climate, a, a desert-like area, a place that's filled with hills that are rocky. Uh, sometimes there is 
larger portions of, of pasture, especially in the in the springtime in Israel. The rains are, are coming, and so the, the sheep might have a lot of grass in a certain particular area, but they would eat that up really quick and have to go to the next area. But for a big portion of the year, finding pasture is actually difficult. It's, again, a dry climate for most of the year with very little pasture. And so the sheep have to rely on the voice of the shepherd to guide them from place to place. Now, they don't know where the next pasture is going to be. They don't know where that's going to be the next day. They just have to rely and depend upon the shepherd to provide them with daily food as they go about navigating the kind of desert, rocky climate. Now, sometimes it is so dry that there is not grass or pasture anywhere in sight. But there's a, a phenomenal thing that occurs. See, a, a moist wind comes in from the Mediterranean Sea, and it oftentimes will blow on rocks that have been heating, warming throughout the day. And when that moist, humid wind hits the warm rocks, there's condensation and a small amount of moisture begins to appear. And oftentimes the rocks will be on, on a hilly place and the moisture will just drip down enough into a shady spot under the rock. And because of that, a small tuft of grass, just a small little bit can begin to grow underneath certain rocks. And so many times in the year, a shepherd will look out at an area and it doesn't look like there's any grass. But if the shepherd knows the area, the terrain, the climate, the winds, the seasons, they're able to know, well, it'll be small little pieces of grass to keep the flock filled. But the sheep have to rely on listening to the voice of the shepherd to guide them to these areas. Now, one of the fascinating things is oftentimes uh, multiple flocks will be gathered in, in nighttime for safety reasons. And so you might have uh, three flocks with three different shepherds. Now in the morning, when someone awakes, a shepherd will call out to his flock, his sheep, to lead them to a place where he believes there's going to be food for them. Now, upon hearing their shepherd's voice, all the sheep that belong to him will just get up and begin to follow. It's, it's phenomenal. It's and you might see a hundred sheep and one shepherd calls, but only 27 of them begin to follow because they know the voice of the shepherd and they trust that shepherd to lead them from place to place. It's not ever going to be in, in like an all-you-can-eat buffet of pasture. It's just enough for the day and then on to the next spot. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. The phrase still waters is, is interesting. Um, the word for still here in Hebrew has a sense of resting, a place to, to relax and to rest. And it also has this sense of which it's, there's, there's safety in that rest. Now, the reason why this is important is uh, the flock might see some water in Israel and immediately gravitate to it. Oh, look, there's water. It's good to drink and we're all good. However, one of the things you have to be aware of is that in Israel, water will often collect in wadis. And wadis are actually incredibly dangerous, especially in the springtime, because there might be a storm miles and miles away. 
but the mountains in that region of limestone have a hard time absorbing that water. So that water will collect miles and miles away and then rush flowing fast through these wadis. So the sheep might think they're in a safe place to drink this water, but actually they're in danger of imminent flash floods. And so the shepherd leads the flock to the good water, the safe water. And then it says, he restores my soul. The word for soul here in Hebrew is nefesh. It's, it's probably better translated life. Oftentimes when, he, when we hear as modern people the word soul, we just think of something spiritual, divorced from the physical. But the idea here is that God is restoring the nefesh. It's your life. It's the sum total of your being. The whole entire you is being restored. Nefesh. The word for restore here is the word shuv. And it often means in scripture, uh, believe it or not, not to restore, but to repent or to return. So there's, it's possible that there's a moral component to this, that God is returning you, helping you repent, and in that bringing you back to life. It may mean just a sense of restoration, but it's possible that there's this moral component to it. And the reason why I think that is the next verse is, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. So there's paths that the flock need to follow. And if they stray from it, there's imminent danger. And the psalmist may be saying that it's God himself who is keeping you, returning you, returning your life to put you on his paths of righteousness. So you would drift, you would stray, but the way he restores your soul is by keeping you and leading you on these paths of righteousness. Now it says this in verse three, for his namesake. God does all this. God is kind to you. He's merciful to you. He's a good shepherd to you for his namesake. Now, at first, that might sort of rub you the wrong way. It seems problematic. Wait, God is only doing this for his namesake? Now, it's not saying he's only doing this for his namesake. So I, I believe God loves you and is merciful to you for multiple reasons. But what the psalmist wants to point out is that primarily he does it for his namesake. Now, that is actually really good news. The reason why God leads you like a shepherd is dependent upon not anything that's contingent like your behavior, but it's contingent upon something that is immutable, unchanging, the very character of God. So when the shepherd looks at the sheep, it's not because the, the, the little lamb is so cute and so fluffy that the shepherd wants to care for it. It's not dependent upon how cute or how fluffy the, the, the sheep is. God does it for his namesake, for an unchangeable reason. And that's good news because if it was contingent or dependent upon my behavior or me being the cute, nice little lamb that's so lovable, well, then the shepherd wouldn't continue leading me. God does it for his namesake. Verse four says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Now we touched in this at the beginning. There's this phrase that you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Now the phrase shadow of death is salmawet. And it's a decent translation to call it the shadow of death. It, it means kind of quite literally the darkest dark or the deep darkness. 
And what's the darkest dark or the deepest darkness? Of course, it's 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 death. So in a sense, it has to do with that. And that's why it's often read at funerals is that God is walking through you even in the valley of the shadow of death. But you need to know that this is not only talking about death. It is the valley of the deep darkness, the valley of the darkest darkness. And in that, this chapter becomes much more about everyday life than just death. We all go through the valley individually, in our families, culturally as people. And the Bible is presupposing that in life, you will have times where you will have to go through the valley of the deep darkness. See, it doesn't just pretend that you become a Christian and you're always on the mountaintop. You become a Christian, everything's good all of the time. God takes care of you. Everything's great. It presupposes you will go through the valley of the darkest darkness, the deep darkness, the shadow of death. It says, I will fear no evil as I'm in that darkness. Now, why does the psalmist say, I will fear no evil? For you are with me. God is with you. So it's not a promise that life won't be difficult. In fact, it's presupposing difficulty. What it's promising you is the presence of the living God in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death. And because God is with me, I can say, I will fear no evil. It says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, oftentimes, uh, we as human beings, we just think that God is up there with the rod and the staff and he's waiting for his one of one one of the sheep in the flock to do something bad. He's got the, the whooping stick and he's going to hit us. That's not the, the rod and the staff aren't for beating the sheep. The rod and the staff are for protecting the sheep. When the wolves come, when the predators come to attack, to kill the sheep, the shepherd has this staff to fight them off. And the shepherd also uses the staff not only as a weapon to fight off predators, but it's also to, to gently hit or to nudge the flock to keep them on the paths of righteousness. So it's not like God is up there and operates the universe on some karmic principle that every time you do anything wrong, here comes the staff to hit you. The staff is there to keep you on the path of righteousness and to ward off the predator. And because of that, they comfort me. The rod and the staff, they comfort me. Verse five, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now, this is this, this image of God himself preparing a table for you. Your enemies, the wolves, might be all around you, surrounding you. But even though that is occurring, you can exhale because God has prepared the table for you. This is very intimate language. In the ancient Near Eastern world, hospitality was a huge, huge thing. And so God himself is the host and he's showing you hospitality. He's being hospitable to bring you into his home, to bring you to his table, to eat with you, to fellowship with you, even though the enemies are all around. And in the ancient Near Eastern world, a good host would anoint your head with oil. And that's what it says he does. And then he says, my cup overflows. The hospitality is so great. You hold out your cup 
and and the water is being poured into it and you're thirsty and you don't have to worry if there's going to be enough because the water is just overflowing the cup. There's plenty. There's provision. And then it ends with verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, three interesting Hebrew words here, goodness, mercy, and follow. In Hebrew, goodness, it's, it's the general term that's used here. It's tov. It's the same word that appears all throughout the Bible to describe good or goodness. It's in Genesis chapter 1 when God creates the world. He declares it to be good. God created light and he saw that it was good, tov. But then mercy, this is the Hebrew word chesed. This is a powerful word in Hebrew. Oftentimes it's translated here, mercy. Sometimes you might read it in different translations as kindness or loving kindness, sometimes steadfast love. But chesed really is, it's almost impossible to translate into English in just one word. It's this idea of covenantal faithfulness. When you marry someone, you promise to to be faithful to them till death do you part. You are going to be the good husband and you are declaring covenantal faithfulness in that marriage ceremony. I am going to be good to you because of these promises. And that's sort of the, 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 the context of chesed. It's a covenantal faithfulness. And because of that, God is going to be good to you. And again, going back to for his namesake, it's because of the covenant. It's because of the unchanging character of God that you don't have to doubt this. Chesed is not to be doubted. Surely, tov and chesed shall follow me. The word for follow here in Hebrew, radach. This is predator language. The word follow is too weak here. Radoth is, is this sense of pursuit. A lion pursues its prey. It's not as if Tov and Chesed are just following behind you as you go through life. They are pursuing you like a lion. When Pharaoh's armies go after Israel, newly freed Israel, and they chase them into the Red Sea, it says Pharaoh's armies are Radothin. They are pursuing, pursuing like a lion. So picture that image in your head. The goodness and mercy, the tov and chesed of God pursues you like a lion. And because of that, the psalmist concludes, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So how do you live in a 2020 world? You need a Psalm 23 life. How do you live with uncertainty and doubt and, and anxiousness and fear? How do you live in a 2020 world? You need a Psalm 23 life. You have to realize that the flock doesn't worry about tomorrow. They don't know where the pasture is going to be, but they trust the shepherd to lead them to it. And even if you look on a hillside and you don't see any food, you don't see any provision, the shepherd knows that a cool wind has actually been coming in and hitting warm rocks and collecting just enough moisture there for the past couple months to create just enough of the right environment for some, grout, some sprouts of grass to come up. You may not see it yet. It's not your job to see it yet. It's not your job to worry about. You trust the shepherd. He leads you 
day by day. You listen to his voice. You listen to the voice of the shepherd and you trust him. You trust him. And even if you're in the valley of the shadow of death, you don't fear because the shepherd is near. He's with you and he walks with you. Now, many years after David wrote this psalm, another shepherd would come to us. John chapter 10 says this, Jesus speaks and he says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. I lay my life down for the sheep. See, there's a wolf and it comes to steal, kill and destroy. And the wolf had his eyes set upon you. You were its prey. His eyes were set upon you and his jaws were meant to grab your neck, but the good shepherd would not allow it. The thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. And when the wolf came to attack, rather than flee like the hired hands do, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He loves his flock. He wants to care for them and to protect them. So how do you know that you can trust the good shepherd? How do you know you can trust Jesus? How do you know that you can lean on him to lead you through the valley of the shadow of death? Because he's the type of shepherd that lays down his life. The wolf attacked him he dies. He lays down his life for a sheep. And because of that, you can trust him in the valley of the shadow of death. And you're going to need to. How do you live in a 2020 world? You got to have a Psalm 23 life. In Psalm 23, it tells us, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He's going to take you to the green pastures. Don't think it'll be luxurious. Don't think it's, it's going to be everything and everything will be great, but it'll be enough. It'll be just enough to get by. And he'll lead you beside the still waters. He will restore your soul. He'll lead you on the paths of righteousness for his namesake. His rod and his staff, they will comfort you. And even if you're surrounded by your enemies, he will prepare a table. Your cup overflows because the good shepherd drank from the cup of wrath. And because of that, you can trust him with your life. And so my challenge to you is to be a Christian who obeys the commands of our Lord. Jesus tells us to fear not and to not worry about tomorrow. And if you want to do that, the only way you can do that is not pretend that life doesn't have difficulty or there's not actual things to worry about because there are. 
The only way you can do that is trust the good shepherd. And you can trust him because he's the shepherd that lays down his life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you that he is the good shepherd. Help us to, to trust in him, to listen and obey his voice. You have blessed us immensely. We have so many blessings. And in the midst of all this blessing and faithfulness that you've, you've done unto us, we still doubt and we still worry. So help us focus on your faithfulness, your goodness, all the blessings you have already given to us. And when our hearts begin to worry, to fear, to doubt, worry about tomorrow, keep us on your path of righteousness and lead us to the still waters and the green pastures. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.